Before we start this episode, I want to ask you a favor. If you like the show, give me some love. It's great that you tell me that you like me and you give me the feedback, but please go ahead and also rate and review me on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Also, as we gear up for the holiday season, tell three people in your life, a friend or two, uh, relatives, that you have this new podcast that you listen to. That's the Chris Ham Podcast. And please follow me at Chris and Ham on Twitter. This show actually has listeners all over the world, even now. So please continue to help me spread the word. Your support and feedback are incredibly meaningful to me. Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. Episode number 28. Only two more to end the year and they're both going to be NFL heavy with two guests. Um, so, so two more including this one. I'm sorry, two more not including this one. And my friend JVB is going to join us next week to start to talk NFL storylines, a little bit more robust version of the storyline segment that we do. Um, then to end the season, probably release right around the new year, uh, Chris B., my wife's cousin's husband, friend of mine and diehard Eagles fan, is going to be back joining the pod. Very popular episode, which he and I did early November, doing a deeper dive on the NFL um, just after the halfway point. And uh, we're going to be doing a, um, a, a an NFL season post-mortem. It's going to be on Black Monday, the day after the NFL season concludes, which is called Black Monday because it's notorious for the NFL coaching firings. Uh, we're going to talk about the two states of our NFL teams and the Jets and Eagles, break down coaches top to bottom in the league, and give NFL playoff predictions. So we have two great shows coming up. We have a great show for you today. On today's show, I'm going to give you a reflection on life phases, uh, talk about NFL storylines and ham, hot, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread, of course. And I'm going to end with a road rage story, um, two rants, and a hot take. So buckle up. Um, Here we go. So I can't believe we are just about at the halfway point of December. Unbelievable. Got a nice weekend coming up. It's a little rainy here in the New York area. Like, it feels like we live in Seattle. Like, it, at least it is in snow. It's not cold. It's, like, a little bit chilly and rainy. It feels like almost, like, early April weather or, like, March weather or something. Like, it's it's pretty brutal. Um, as much rain as I can remember for this time of December. Uh, but, uh, you know, festive weekend. We have a holiday party tonight coming up. Going to be sipping some holiday drinks with some friends, having some desserts. Um and listening to some some good old holiday music while while looking at the Christmas tree. So looking forward to that. But I want to start today with my dog Bruno. So I mentioned Jen and I got Bruno uh, before having any children uh, almost five years ago back in the spring of 2015. Now, a few episodes ago, I made the compelling argument that having a dog really does prepare you for having a kid. So that's that's no gimmick. And for those friends and family who meet Bruno, he's a very likable dog that tends to give the folks in our life pleasure. Now, in spite of his awkward body, he is handsome. Now, he's mostly black and brown in coloring. Uh, he has he has a, a black body um, and head and ears. He has some brown coloring around his face and above his eyes and a very smooth coat. Now, my mother-in-law got me one of those DNA tests for, for dogs back in... Uh, back in back during a, a Christmas a few years ago, 
Now, we knew when we adopted him that he was from Asia. He was from Thailand specifically. And that's a whole other story, which I won't get into now. Um, but the test verified that he was from Thailand or from Asia. And uh, it said he was comprised of four breeds. Uh, two of them were unknown and two were like, you know, a, like Japanese Sharpei and uh, Korean Jindo, which I've never even heard of. But if you look at him, he looks like he's like half Dachshund and half Doberman or like German Shepherd. And his size is kind of a mix of those two. And that's really awkward to picture his his uh, his mom and his dad mating. Um, but um, he's a long body with a with a big gut um, and short front legs, but really long hind legs and a big barrelly chest, little ears, but a very like ferocious sounding bark. He's very intimidating when he barks. Doesn't bark a lot, but but a very scary bark. Um, and I love him. And he he but he's a lot like a cat. Um, you know, when, when I was looking at dogs, Jen found them and thought uh, she thought that his calm energy would be a good transition for me as somebody who didn't grow up with a dog and wasn't necessarily embracing the whole concept of having a dog. Now, I always worried the dog would hinder my ability to watch the sport I love of football on Sundays. Now, little did I know uh, having kids does that, but DVR and the technology of today really helps navigate around this. Now, Bruno is like a cat dog. We sometimes call him El Gato Negro. Now, he is a very, very lazy and sedentary dog. He's motivated like most dogs by foods and walks. Um, and he really is sleeping or still like 85% of the day, which I know, you know, they, they say I think like dogs have 80% inactive time, but it's, it feels like he's even a little bit more than the average dog. Um, and, um, you know, we, we got him at two years old uh, when, he was, when, when, he, when he was two years old. And, and he was doing that even since then. So he was like just out of the puppy phase and a teenager. And he still was kind of pretty lazy. A little bit more rambunctious. Didn't, didn't listen as much. Uh, you know, tore up a few of our, our items when we first got him out of anxiety, I think. But overall, he was pretty low energy then. But um, he does get this random burst of energy around 9 p.m. for an hour where he likes to play with his toys and run around with me or Jen in the family room. And uh, that's like a surge of energy, like clockwork every day. Now, in terms of food, we used to feed him only dry food, but we now give him some small table scraps. Uh, and he's, he's around 50 pounds, but he really could stand to lose like 10 to 12% of his body weight. And the good thing about him, one of the other reasons that makes him a really sweet dog is um, he doesn't really beg the way that traditional dogs beg. He doesn't bark. He doesn't cry. Um, what he'll do is he'll just kind of stand and like stare at you and like with his like with his like handsome face and like be like, "Hey, I'm here. If you want to give me some food, I'm just I'm right here." Um, and in terms of just him like barking and crying, I mean, he doesn't bark a lot. He does kind of whine and cry a lot. Like and, like that's his signal that he wants something. If he wants to go outside, he'll kind of cry. Um, if he's anxious about something, he'll cry. Um, he's just he's really funny. But the word that I would use to describe him would be quirky. Now, he, he will randomly bark at some noises, but not others. He is spooked by thunder and fireworks. And um, over the summer, when I forgot to put him um, back inside, when we put him on the deck because he loves to sunbathe, um, we have a second floor deck where we live. And he left off the deck. I guess it was a really bad thunderstorm. My, my wife had a, had, a, had a work appointment that she had to run to. And... Um, he like, I guess like was so scared and then he like, he, he must have like chased after her car because he was anxious and he and like when, and a lot of times if you're walking him and one of us are leaving, he'll want to like go towards the car because he's like upset that the other, the other, uh, 
one of us is is, is going somewhere. Um, even though, ironically enough, he's like really anxious in cars. He's gotten a lot better, but when we first got him, he would throw up every single car ride, and he would like um, just like sweat through his tongue and like just drool for like it like literally like puddles. But uh, he leapt off our second floor deck during this incident over the summer, and somehow ended up at Carvel down the street. And then our local animal shelter before we even detected he was gone. And, and thank God somebody – some angels were with him or something um, with us because um, he was fine. He, we, we, we live on a semi-busy road um, and he didn't get hit by a car even crossing the street. Um, and he could have gone other directions and it would have been a lot worse. But um, the only thing uh, with Bruno that really gets to me about him is in the morning. When I have to go to work uh, and I'm freezing my ass off and he finds it necessary to pee on a specific leaf and bush with hundreds of leaves or he circles when he poops, like finding his like spot to poop. And he's circling so diligently as if he's surveying land to break down a new condo complex. Um, and the other thing he does is he, he has to smell sometimes every single ounce of morning dew um, on a summer morning. So those are the only things about him that really just consistently like will get to me where I get impatient. But he's just being a dog, so I have to accept a lot of that. But I truly love him. Um, he's great with really 99% of people. He reacted adversely to like two people. One was like a, a kid that was um, uh, really just like torturing him who was um, uh, um, our, our friend's uh, son who probably was like a year and a half at the time. And, um, you know, he wasn't really like aggressive with the kid, but he was, uh, he got angry because the kid literally was like pulling his ears, stepping in his bed. Um, and I got mad. And then that was the only time that we got into a conflict. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, that's another story. But, uh, he, he really is great with 99% of people. He seems to give off, um, some energy to piss off other dogs though. So whenever I'm taking him for a walk or Jen's taking him for a walk, Two thirds of other dogs seem to like either bark or growl or like or want to like aggressively get after him without him even even doing anything and even reacting to it. He's just kind of like his hair will go up when he's a little nervous and he'll like his hair will go up. He'll want to pee on in different objects to kind of like mark his territory. So I'm not sure what kind of energy he's given off, but that's what he does there. And it's really hard for me to imagine life without him. And I get sad thinking about the end of his life. Um, you know, he's six now. Um, you know, I don't know. I feel like his size breed is going to live in somewhere between like, uh, like, may, like maybe 14, 15 years old if we're lucky. And, um, so another eight or nine years from now. And, you know, especially as both of my daughters, God willing, are going to spend their formative years with him, it's going to be really challenging at, at, at the end of his life. I mean, Eloise is going to be, um, 11 or 12 when he passes. Our, our younger daughter is going to be, um, you know, maybe somewhere in the um, eight or nine range, and it's just going to be a really sad thing. And um, you know, ending on a on a lighter note, sometimes I do look at him, and his face looks like the NFL quarterbacks Andy Dalton or Ryan Tannehill. I'm going to find the right split shots one of these days and do a side by side comparison. But that's Bruno. Um, coming up next, the commentary on life phases. We are just a couple weeks away for the next decade, the 2020s. And with that, and also being less than two years away from my 40th, which I mentioned at the intro, um, having another family edition soon and just reflecting on my career, like I've been doing a lot of thinking. And I'm thinking about how life is really broken up into all of these fascinating faces that I never saw coming and probably can't even fully speak to until I'm there. Um, now, I'll stick to the faces of life that 
I broke up between birth and age 38 where I am now. Uh, maybe in another episode, I will contemplate what the next five to six decades of life are going to look like, God willing. But um, for now, I'll just stick to the, the phases uh, in the first four decades of life. So when I was a kid, I didn't really reflect about what was going on other than knowing that once I was in kindergarten, I was on this path of schooling for the next two decades that was predictable. Now on this track that really like it's such a unique thing that literally it's like you're on this this predetermined path if you have a traditional schooling background, especially the the area and the demographic where I grew up, where it's going to be um, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 years of schooling between between elementary school, middle school, high school, then college. And you know, when I was around that age, I mean, or, or in that in that zone, I, I wondered when I would meet my spouse and where I would go to college. But now, as I think of it all, like now, now as I kind of think about it all, here's how I, would, I break up life. Now, the first five years are spent trying to figure out what the hell is going on. What is the, this world that I live in? Who are my parents? Um, what part of the world and country am I from? What are siblings? What are cousins? Aunts, uncles? What toys, TVs, and movies get my attention? And what does being sick mean and feel like? So that's like the first five years of life. And really like, uh, it's really probably like, like, like ages like three to five, you really start to kind of know what's going on. And you can get a semblance of that. At the beginning of that, you're just really like a baby and early toddler and not really know, know much of what's going on. So then from about phase two is about from six to 12. And that this phase, life is easy. You know, call this like the elementary school phase. And all you really have to worry about is going to school and trying to make friends. You have no pressure to do anything. Um, but what sucks is you have little control of what you eat, what you drink, and when you do that. And I remember as a kid during this phase being thirsty and hungry beyond any threshold that ever happens as an adult. Because as much as you might have loving parents, parents that get you things, um, you can't drive, and a lot of times you don't even understand cravings or the nuances of food, and you're kind of at the whim of others. So that's the interesting part. So that's phase two of life. Um, phase three, I think, is you get to the 13 to 17 years, which are the the uh, the meat of your teen years before college and in uh, middle school and high school. Which, as a boy, for me, um, you know, I, I wanted to grow, I wanted my voice to change, and I wanted to start, you know, getting my first bit of attention uh, from 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 the opposite sex. Um, school got a bit more serious and uh, you started to realize how you perform can really have a big impact on your life. Now, then we get to the college age, phase four, uh, ages eight, they call it 18 to 22, which is really just trying to have fun, figure out your career start, um, uh, do decently well in school so you don't fail out or and, and, and do well enough to be able to to interview for jobs and, and, and get a degree. And you're you know, really navigating the drinking, partying, and sex aspects of your life. And um, yeah, that's just an interesting thing as well. Um, and then you get to the next phase uh, from 23 to 27. We could call this phase five. And this is all about money, career ascension, spouse search. Uh, really when your friends are at their peak, uh, this is where I, I really started to, to make a mark in my career, uh, grow my, my income, although I really still have regrets about my savings rate. Um, but that's a, a, another discussion, um, and that's a, this is the the window of time when I met Jen as my wife and partner. And uh, for me, it happened at twenty five, turning twenty six. Um, I think for a lot of people, your spouse probably happens in this window, maybe the, maybe the early part of the next window. Um, 
And then the, the next window, the second to last I'm going to talk about is the wedding phase. So that's ages, call it 27, 28 uh, to around 35. And um, you likely are attending a half a dozen weddings or more a year. Uh, you're likely getting married yourself. I did at age 32 going into age 33. You know, it's a lot of fun. Um, it gets complicated if you succumb to vices or substances. Um, but this is the first window of life you are really prone to making mistakes with consequences. And sure, in college and high school, this can happen in the extremes, but you're kind of expected to be a screw up. In this phase, you shouldn't be, but you often are. So that's that's the call it the wedding phase, for lack of a better term. And then the last phase, which is the phase I'm in now, from about 33 to 40, and, and, and at least in this part of the country, and it's the growing a family phase. Uh, this is the phase in this generation, this part of the country, um, where most of your friends are married, and most of your friends are starting families. Now, your kids are, are uh, when you do have kids, they're, they're, you, know, you have one, you have two, three, whatever, but they're, they're younger, they're babies, they're toddlers, they're preschool age typically, maybe the very early part of, uh, of, of grade school, but your social life decelerates. Um, the time you wanna spend is limited with a set of people. It's, it's, it's family, uh, it's very close friends, it's a lot of double dates, it's um, a lot of uh, date nights with your spouse. And friendships fade, which I spoke about on, on um, another episode, and other ones spawn, local ones spawn. Um, Really more more authentic ones spawn because you really form that who you are as a person, I think, a lot in your 20s and it's clear when you're in your 30s. And socializing, as I said, is really more couple and family gatherings than anything else. And family gatherings meaning like your new family that you're forming with, um, with other families in the area, um, like family dates where it's like um, – you know, two two couples and and three kids, four kids, five kids. It's a lot of fun. It's just just different. And um, sometimes, you know, but what happens is during this phase, you go sometimes weeks without seeing friends. And I find it all fascinating. All these phases, and I will say when I talk about um, what it seems like the next couple of decades, but I think the next couple of decades and phases coming out there, these phases are gonna, of life are going to resemble some of the ones that I, I previously discussed prior to this. Um, because I, I do think things are cyclical. You know, I think, um, you know, tease it out a little bit, but I think your 50s, when your kids start going away to college, probably resemble a lot like your 20s. You're, you're back to kind of socializing more again without a, the responsibilities day to day of uh, parenting that you're really in the thick of in, the, in your 30s and 40s. But uh, that's my commentary on life faces, uh, NFL storylines, and week 14 to 15 bridge next. So I cannot believe that we have three weeks to go in the 2019 NFL season. Um, with that, I'm going to go through storylines. So um, I'm not going to comment on my Jets to a large degree. I still despise the coach. Um, I think he's the, the least encouraging part of the team. I think there's a lot of other pieces we, we have to fix. Um, there are some guys that we've acquired and that, that have really overperformed, uh, outperformed. Um, and I just think there's a there's a core. I, I I have a lot of faith in the quarterback and Darnold. I I really think he he you know he has his he, he took a small step forward this year. Is taking a small step forward. I'd love to see him finish strong the next three weeks. Um, but I think he he has he's, he's he has a lot of talent and he has poise and he bounced back from the ghost game um, earlier in this season. Um, he's he's on, in a stretch now where he's playing a lot better. He's turning the ball over a lot less. Um, but as far as storylines go, I mean. They were on Thursday Night Football against the Ravens and got smoked. 
And um, I think it's all about Lamar Jackson and the buzzsaw that is the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, holy shit. Are they going to lose again? Are they really, you know, they're they're on their path. I mean, another win, I think they get the number one seed. Um, they're probably going to, they're going to finish. I mean, clearly 14 and two, 13 and three. Um, and they are just, just dominating. And just an, 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 this offense that is like, the people are just not used to, 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 to seeing and knowing how to stop. I mean, kudos to Greg Roman, who was the coordinator for other types of um, of running oriented quarterbacks like Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo a few years ago and Colin Kaepernick before that. I mean, this guy really knows how to put together game plans for running quarterbacks. And Lamar Jackson's unique in himself because, I mean, the guy's leading the league in touchdown throws. So uh, doesn't throw a lot of yards around the field, but he just seems to have this accuracy and touch that, that other running quarterbacks I've seen haven't had. And he's, you know, the young guy. You know, he's going to be younger than Joe Burrow who comes out next year. But uh, that's one number one storyline to me is Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Now, number two, can the Tennessee Titans, who are red hot, and Ryan Tannehill took over for Marcus Mariota, keep it rolling and win the, the AFC South? Uh, they've been on a tear. They've been on an absolute tear. And um, I'd look at their record, what their record was um, before they, uh, they benched uh, Mariota. I mean, it, but it is, it is like, it's unbelievable. I mean, Tannehill who I thought was always this mediocre quarterback in Miami, is really starting to put it together at like age 30 or 31 and and, uh, and have a, a good career and really contribute to, to the league. But I mean, um, yeah, at one point uh, they were three and four back on, uh, I'm sorry, they were two and four back in mid-October. Um, now they're eight and five. So they've won, uh, you know, six out of seven games. It's really remarkable. Um. But that's that's to me that's that's definitely storyline number two. Um, storyline number three: um, Who's going to win the garbage NFC East? Just a terrible, terrible division with the Giants and Redskins are bottom feeders. Redskins playing a little bit better than the Giants. Giants are a complete disaster. Uh, Coach Shermer, I think, is going to get fired. Um, but uh, the Cowboys and and uh, Eagles, Eagles are banged up as far as receiving goes. Uh, division winner is going to be eight, eight or nine or seven. That's what it looks like. Uh, both are six and seven with three games to go. I mean, <laughs> you'd like to think that you know, they have to they're playing each other the second to last week of the season. So one of them is going to win that. But I mean, I, theoretically, they could both be seven and one of them. The division winner could be seven and nine. It's really, really just pathetic. But who's going to win that that division? Um, so that's story number three. Uh, and by the way, I'm not touching the Dolphins and and uh, Dolphins and Giants game as part of my uh, against the spread picks this week. I'm just not. I, you know, I I like to think the Dolphins are better. They're better coached, but I don't know what their motivation is going to be uh, if they want to secure still like one of the top draft spots. If they beat the Giants, they would, um, uh, you know, it'd be or I, I guess if the Giants somehow do beat them, uh, they would have the same record. The Giants, would, I think, win the tiebreaker. I don't know how it works the tiebreakers though with losing teams because it's not the same as like head to head. I don't think, but um, you know, I, I just don't know what to expect. I know Eli is going to be motivated to get to five hundred. Uh, you know, I think the Dolphins are better, but I'm not touching the game. Um, I think the sharp side is the Dolphins, but uh, it's going to be a pass for me. But anyway, so those are my my, my first three storylines. The fourth storyline is and it dovetails with what I was talking about. The Jags, Giants, and Panthers have they quit? Uh, the Panthers, you know, fired Ron Rivera. Perry Fueled is, is is not a good coach. He wasn't really a good coordinator um, when he's in the league. Um, I don't think that they're responding well to him. They got they just got blown out by the um, Atlanta Falcons um, after losing to the Redskins before that. 
Um, I don't know what to expect with them. I think they they might have quit. I think the Jags, Doug Marone is toast. I think Pat Shermer, those are going to be two of the coaches that are going to be fired on Black Monday. Um, so I would really just proceed. If you're going to back those teams, proceed with caution. But uh, sometimes backing teams that you recognize quitting is a, is a good thing. But um, or, or, or backing against teams that are quitting. So uh, those are for Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, um, uh, storylines one and two, the who will the NFC East three, uh, four, which teams have quit, and then five, the Patriots scandal. All right. Now, is this real or not? Uh, a lot of Patriots fans are rolling their eyes and just saying like, oh, of course, everybody's out to get us. It's self-pitying bullshit with them. But I mean, you know, like, like where there's smoke, there's fire with these things. It's just shady that a team that was responsible for Spygate back last decade is now all of a sudden like filming a documentary. Like, just, I mean, just read the details about this. I mean, you know, eight minutes of footage of the Bengals sideline where they happen to be playing. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, you know, it's the Bengals. We don't need to do that. But like, that's basically like a rich person going in. Um, it's like Kendall Roy from Succession, going in and stealing batteries and being like, well, I'm rich. I don't need to steal batteries. I could buy uh, battery factories. I mean, it's just not an excuse. It's shady, and I think there's something to it, but uh, that's just an interesting storyline. It's died down the last few days. Um, I don't know if the Patriots PR must be must be doing something something right or you know, paying off reporters not to uh, not to cover the story, but I mean, there's just so much scandal with them. I mean, as great as Brady and Belichick are, it's just always something with them. Always, whether it's the Flategate or Spygate or you know, all the Aaron Hernandez stuff, it's just just scandals. So, those are the five storylines as we go into um, week fifteen. Uh, coming up next, um, the Chris Ham hot sharp butter knife picks against the spread. So my picks cooled off last week, but over the last 27 games or nine weeks, I'm still 15, 10, and 2. It's 59%. It's pro-level winning percentage. So, um, you know, for those of you who do wager, I hope to provide a good good sample for you of games to kind of take a look at. Um, And last week I was uh, 0-2-1 against the spread. It was a winless week, a tough week for me. I got to push with the Lions at the Vikings, luckily, as a division game. Um, I lost with the Bills hosting the Buzzsaw Ravens, and I lost with the Bengals um, at the Browns. In spite of them outgaining the Browns and winning the turnover battle, they lost, and they didn't even cover by a point. So both the Bills and the the the, um, the Bengals were really close to covering. So for this season, I'm 500, exactly, with, with four ties. 19-19-4. and four. Um, Last week, I said I didn't like the slate. Uh, this week, I feel better. Um, three regular season weeks to go. I can't believe we're here. But worried not, friends. We will have four weeks of butter knife picks in the playoffs. And I will be picking all of the games. So you will get a bonus four for the wild card and divisional weekends. So without further ado, week 15 ham, hot, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread. Here we go. Let's start in Green Bay where the Green Bay Packers are minus four only against the Chicago Bears? Minus four, really? I mean, this line moved from Green Bay minus seven and a half down to minus four. Let's talk distribution. 71% of tickets on Green Bay. 55% of cash on Green Bay. So some sharp action on Chicago, but to me, not really to warrant a three and a half point move. Um, one of the biggest pro betters that I respect uh, doesn't understand why Chicago's getting respect here as much as he's not big on Green Bay. You know, I talked about this earlier, but it feels like 
Um, the Bears are a team that people love to glob onto emotionally with the slightest bit of positivity. Uh, a positive, emotional, elastic team for the public, if you will. I think the Falcons are in a similar boat for some reason. I'm not sure what it is about the franchises or the dynamics or the quarterbacks. But they're no doubt playing better, and so is Mitchell Trubisky, who I've been very critical of. But can we calm down? I mean, they won four out of the last five against the Lions, Giants, and Cowboys. The Lions twice, the Giants, and the Cowboys, who are sinking like the fucking Titanic. Right? Now, Green Bay, since 2010, has one of the strongest home fields in all of football. And many wise guys handicap them as, uh, as getting four points at home. Now, you mean to tell me these teams are, are even on a neutral field? Yards per play, the Packers are marginally better. But the Bears are near the bottom of the league in yards per game and points per game. Now, the Bears are not the defensive force they were last year. And the Packers played a game at home against the Redskins that was too close for comfort. I mean, they understand that winning the NFC North is crucial uh, it's either them or the Vikings at this point, it looks like. And it could mean the difference between a first-round buy and a sixth seed. Now, Mitchell Trubisky, here's a stat. One in three career to date against the Packers, a 62 quarterback rating, and was sacked five times when they faced off opening night this year back in September. And one interesting thing, the temperature is expected to be in the teens for this game. Uh, you know, as we get into December in, in Green Bay, it's friggin' cold there. Now, Trubisky has played twice with the temperature under 30 degrees, and how are his stats, you might be wondering? Well, he's one touchdown, three interceptions, under 60% completion percentage. He's been sacked six times. It's going to be 18 degrees in Lambeau. I think this is a steal. Give me Green Bay minus four versus the Bears at home. Next, let's go to Pittsburgh, where... I've been riding the Pittsburgh a few times. I've been riding Pittsburgh a few times this year. Um, the Steelers are given given just one at home against the Bills. Uh, 8.30 p.m. Sunday night football. Uh, let's talk movement. The line open, Bills minus one. Uh, it's now Steelers minus one. So move through the number zero. Let's talk distribution. 87% of the cash and 87% of the tickets on the Bills. That's too high. Let's calm down on the Bills. I like what they've done. Um, I picked them to flirt with the playoffs and finish over 500 uh, to start the season. They have an elite defense. They're well coached with Sean McDermott. But I'm not ready to pick them for a flex primetime game uh, on the road against another stout defense and top head coach in Mike Tomlin. I mean, Buffalo is a better yards per play for the season, 5.3 versus 4.9. But Pittsburgh, the last three, strike that, reverse it. If they have 5.2 yards per play versus... Uh, 4.9 for the Bills. Now, both of, the, both of these teams are in the top six in yards per game and points per game defensively, but it's all about value to me. I mean, Pittsburgh at home is fifth overall since 2010 against the spread, um, and I don't even have to give a field goal here. So give me Pittsburgh minus one, prime time, Sunday night versus the Bills. Finally, let's end in Los Angeles, where the LA Chargers are getting one point against the Minnesota Vikings. Give me LA plus one. Now, don't be fooled. It's nine and four at five and eight. Um, let's talk movement first. Movement started, uh, the line opened at Minnesota minus three. It's gone down to Minnesota minus one. Let's talk distribution. 70% of tickets are on Minnesota, but only 46% of cash. So that means sharps are on the LA charges when you couple it with the movement. And that the line has moved a couple points as a result. Now let's dig deep into some key stats here. Yards per play. Chargers are top five for the year and top three in the last three games at 6.1 and 6.9, respectively. And, and I know Rivers is declining some, 
But this team has gone incredibly unlucky. And Rivers is coming off one of his best games, not his best game of the season, dominating at Jacksonville. Now, Vegas pros think two things regress to the mean um, if we're looking at some numbers here. Turnovers and close games. Now, L.A. has a negative 10 turnover uh, differential, which is tied for fourth worst in the league. As Again, uh, Sharps feel that, that these, this number um, tends to gravitate towards zero as the season wears on. Um, and in one-score score games, the Chargers are 2-8. Are and eight. Now, This team was banged up earlier this year, and they've been unlucky in spite of Rivers losing some of his mojo. Now, the Vikings are a solid team, and Kirk Cousins has answered some of the critics as he was maligned to start the year, but he is a creature of habit. Check out this stat. He is 10-24 and 24 outside of the, the, the early games window, the 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 Pacific, 12 Central window. He's also 16-27-2 overall on the road. So give me the Chargers plus one here against the Minnesota Vikings. And I, I, I like them to potentially win handily as well. So to sum up, I like Green Bay minus four at home versus Chicago. Pittsburgh minus one at home versus the Bills. The LA Chargers plus one at home versus Minnesota. Some good old-fashioned home cooking, baby, as those are the ham, hot, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread for week 15. A road rage story, hot takes, and rants up next. So a quick road rage story. So earlier this week, um, Jed had an ultrasound appointment. Um, and she's kind of, she's now just hit the third trimester of pregnancy. And I try to make as many of those as possible. So I'll often take a PTO or a few hours uh, off of work or, or work from home partially on those days. And um, Eloise is off and um, not, a, not in, in, in her preschool. Um, and it was snowing a little outside. And um, we were... Um, we, we took two cars because I had to, to leave earlier than Jen did um, and go back and do some work, uh, get on a few calls. So um, Jen is pulling into the parking lot. She finds a spot. And as I'm pulling in, the, the, doctor, the, the doctor's parking lot that we go to, is, it, it's a shit show. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a practice of a whole bunch of doctors with a whole uh, variety of specialties, internal medicine, OB, everything else. And, um, you know, plus it's snowing. And, and as we're turning in, I'm, I'm getting one of the, the, the spots on the first row that's closest to the, um, to the office. And, um, you know, there's, there's a line of cars behind me because, again, when you're – especially at certain times of the day, it's just an absolute shit show. So I'm, I'm signaling my in, – in the car and uh, a guy honks me behind me. It looked like it was a taxi. And, you know, I let it go because he probably didn't realize I was, I was waiting for a spot. And as I'm waiting longer and signaling, he honks again. And at this point, I just got furious. I opened the, co- the car. I yelled at him. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I didn't curse because I was very mindful in front of Eloise uh, of getting upset. And I was explaining to her what was going on. I'm like, hey, honey, you know, daddy's just really upset because um, you know, somebody's like not being patient with me trying to get the parking spot. And she was actually really calm. So I pull into this parking spot and the guy like zooms past me. And he dropped off some like senior citizen um, in front of the of the doctor's office. And I was so angry that it's snowing outside, it's cold. I get Eloise out of, out of her out of her out of her car seat and I'm like wrapping her up in her jacket because I wanted to confront the guy. And Jen, you know, Jen was on the phone with me as this is going on too. Like we're on like, you know, she's on, I'm on the Bluetooth with her talking and she's hearing me. She's like, Well, you go, you go, hubby, stand up for yourself. And like I've never heard you be like that. And I knew I didn't feel like I was crossing the line there, but I I, I was gonna re- confront this guy, and uh, I think of course he got scared and realized he was being a dick because he just zoomed away. 
But uh, that just goes to show you how angry I was. Like, I wasn't going to, like, beat the guy up. But I was going to, like, calmly go to the guy and be like, listen, like, I'm here at the doctor. I have a toddler in the back. I have a pregnant wife. I'm, I'm, I'm going to her doctor's appointment. Like, I don't need your, your lack of impatience. Have some awareness. The world isn't just about you, all right? I know you want to make your fair, whatever you're doing. But run up the meter a little bit on this old guy. So really infuriating. Uh, that was my road rage story. It wasn't – it could have been worse. Um, I think I've gotten better on the road. Um, but, uh, that really pissed me off. All right. Hot take number one. So Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback is, uh, on the verge to win the Heisman. He's going to win the Heisman this weekend. Um, but let's be very, very careful about anointing this guy as the next coming of John Elway. Now he had 40, he has 48 touchdowns. He has, you know, he blows the doors off with statistics this year. He's comparable to, but if you look at his numbers, he's actually comparable to Kyler Murray from last year. He's a little bit better as far as like things like completion percentage and, and, yard, and you know, even I think yards per attempt, touchdowns. But he plays at LSU. LSU is a powerhouse. They're one of the top teams in the country. They have NFL guys up and down the roster. And I, you have to be really careful with a guy like him. Not a single starting quarterback in the league right now is from LSU or Alabama. You can think of a lot of busts from those schools. Jamarcus Russell would name one. But when you play with all that talent around you, do you go to the NFL? Where you're, like, it, it tends not to not to be the an automatic result in slam dunk. Um, you know, it has to be a program that I think is a power, but not one of the top teams in the country at the time that you're leaving. So just be very, very, very careful about Joe Burrow and assuming that he's going to come into Cincinnati, wherever the hell he's going to end up, and just make an immediate impact. Okay, rant number one. So. It's not okay to sketch people at a coffee shop. Let me tell you a quick story, all right? I was working remotely earlier this week, and I'm at a coffee shop, um, and it's packed. It's like just people mostly doing work, meeting friends, meeting business contacts, um, grabbing coffee and pastries, right? It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and some old guy, older gentleman, probably in his, uh, I don't know, maybe early 70s or so, um, comes in. And he's, uh, he's looking around for a table. He sits. He positions himself awkwardly facing a, like a, a row of tables, including myself. And he starts sketching. And then another seat opens up that was more optimal for him to, to, to sketch from a better angle. He's literally taking like he's, – he's, he's, um, he's, he's sketching like the, the patrons in the coffee shop. And he's doing it in a way that felt like really intrusive. And I, I just don't think this is OK. I, it's just not. It's just, it just it felt creepy. And um, you know, I'm sitting there and, and – and, like, yeah, I understand we, we live in a day where, you know, people are taking pictures on their iPhones all the time. Somebody could, like, pretend they're texting their friend and they're taking pictures of me or anybody else. But there's a big difference between, like, subtly taking a picture of somebody and, like, literally sitting for the better part of two hours and sketching people at a coffee shop, right? It's just fucking not okay. So that's I – just, I just don't think that's acceptable at all. It's just not. So – don't sketch people at coffee shops because, because in sketching people at coffee shops, you're sketching them out. Okay, rant number two, holidays, all right? I'm all about the sensitivity of saying happy holidays. You know, I grew up friends with a lot of Jewish people, um, went to college friends with a lot of Jewish people. A lot of my, my closest friends now are, 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 are Jewish um, and not everybody celebrates Christmas. I mean, we, we like you know, people in the UK come over and they say Christmas party and they like say all these things because most of the people in that country, I guess, are celebrating Christmas. But it's just not culturally acceptable here to, 
to say uh, to assume Merry Christmas to people. Now, if you know somebody is uh, is a Christian or Catholic or celebrates, then say Merry Christmas to them. But I think you have to be careful and say Happy Holidays. And you know, I I think it's very culturally insensitive to bitch about the war on Christmas. You see this on Fox News. Oh, the the war on Christmas. Uh, why don't we, you know we have to call it a Christmas tree? I had a client that said to me a few days ago, "Hey, um, so you know you can't call your tree a Christmas tree. You have to call it a holiday tree." And it's like, whoa, okay, it's a lot of anger, uh, resentment there, and uh, let's not be entitled. But um, you know, listen, we live in a melting pot. All right. Um, we have to be culturally sensitive. I mean, there's a Muslim population. There's there's um, Jewish, there's, you know, there's, there's Christian. All right. But there's the thing about like, like, like happy holidays, like a lot of times you'll see the collection of Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. That's, does anybody really celebrate Kwanzaa? You know, I'm half black. All right. So I think I'm, I'm allowed to say this, but half of my extended family is African-American. I have never heard of a single one of them celebrating Kwanzaa. All right. And if you want to take a barb at me that I'm not immersed in black culture, yada, 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 go right ahead. All right, but this Kwanzaa thing—it just feels like a holiday that was that I don't know, like like it's the day after Christmas apparently. Like who celebrates it? And it just was created through some like resentment towards the um, the majority of, of of Caucasian. I don't know what what happened with it. And you know how I feel about marginalized minorities and and uh, and, and and how how I just think it's really sad. And a lot of people aren't aware of all the subtle ways it takes place. And maybe I'm it's a blind spot for me here with the holiday. Of Kwanzaa, but I like if you celebrate Kwanzaa, I know a single person that does. Please, 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 just tweet me, write me something. Like I, I just haven't heard of it. So can we just get rid of this happy Kwanzaa thing on the on the twenty sixth? Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham podcast. Please follow me on Twitter. At Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.